as the mom of a son with autism, where I look at him and I say, he has a design from God on purpose, and he has a purpose. (laughs) Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to today's episode of Christ and Culture. I'm Ken Keithley. And I'm Benjamin Quinn. So today we're going to talk with Sandra Peoples about the value of human life and disability ministry. And after that, we'll have another edition of On My Bookshelf. But first, it's time for our segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines, such as news, sports, pop culture, business, politics, from a Christian perspective. In today's edition of Headlines, we talk about one of our favorites, sports. Well, the NFL is into its postseason, but today... Let's reflect on those who did not make it. I'm thinking about those who have been fired or perhaps will fire their head coaches. So let's talk about failure for a moment. And what can we learn about sports and about how to respond to failure? Dr. Quinn. You guys have heard me talk a lot in the past about my love for sports. And this is not merely the entertainment side of sports and just the the rhythm that can be the sports calendar throughout the year. It's it's lessons that I, this is another podcast, Nathaniel, we can have later, but it's it's lessons in formation that I personally uh, have experienced and could not have, have gained otherwise apart from sports, which means uh, successes and failures. So I appreciate the question very much. My oldest son, who's right now 14, he played middle school football. He's, he's had his uh, last game of middle school football at this point. His first year of middle school football, they didn't lose a game. His second year of middle school football, they won one game. Oh, and so the, the number of conversations that he and I've had over the last two years of, buddy, sports teach you how to win because you can win like a winner. You can lose like you can win like a loser, but it also teaches you how to lose. You can lose like a winner or you can lose like a loser. And I think about, of all people, Michael Jordan, who when you when you talk to him or you hear him talk about success, he cannot talk about his own success without first acknowledging his failures. Mm-hmm. How many last end of game shots that he missed? or getting cut from the varsity team in the 10th grade and those kind of things. And that's why I think about this question in three layers. One is kind of the individual layer of how, well, how we experience failure as athletes. Also, kind of that coaching and administrative layer, as, as the question was prompted, but then also the community layer. So I want to approach it in those three veins. From the personal side, this is my absolute favorite dimension of sports. It's the formation side. And I love this probably more in team sports than individual, although the, the applications can go both directions. But in, in team sports... You, as well as individual sports, the amount of grind, the amount of perseverance, the amount of work that goes into being successful, there's so many life lessons that come with that. Now, there are trappings in that. I mean, we, we don't have to think hard about the idolatry that's built into that, and that can easily sort of turn the wrong direction. But when, when we maintain a Christian perspective here with respect to virtue formation, a true Christian virtue formation, when you're working really, really hard and you're dedicating your life towards a certain goal, towards a certain trophy. I mean, think of all the Pauline metaphors. Paul apparently was a sports lover because he loved to use the language of, uh, of the athlete or the runner or the person who's pursuing the wreath or the trophy and what have you. 
Um, and, and I think it's so important for us to t- let our kids learn those lessons and teach them. Uh, for example, <clears throat> with our kids, before we sign them up for any kind of a sports league, um, they have to show us that they actually want to play. Before we commit our whole family to that basketball or soccer or baseball schedule, that means all the practices involved and all the games involved, and, and our family all want to be there. Before we commit our whole family to that calendar, you better get out there and show us you want to play. So you got to demonstrate some buy-in. you got to demonstrate you're willing to work for it and demonstrate that actually you can learn those, those virtuous things that sports can teach you before we even sign you up for it. And then we're going to talk about, my kids know, and they get tired of me telling them, right now we're in basketball season. My youngest two, 11-year-old and 7-year-old, are playing basketball. And I say, if we sign you up, you're going to practice every day. Uh, and I kind of give them some regimen for it. And it's not because I expect them to be NBA stars, but because that's part of If you're committed to this and you're on a team, your team's depending on you, then you got to put in the work as well, even outside of when the coach is blowing the whistle. So learning to win, learning to lose, learning how to um, – to sort of take your lumps and even grow beyond that, how to, you know, after you've gotten beat even by the teams that you weren't supposed to get beat by, and then you have to decide, go back home, deal with your feelings, deal with your loss, deal with your shame and embarrassment at times, and then get back on the court or back on the field and kind of figure out who you are. A lot more we could talk about there. The second, though, Nathaniel, you phrased the question with respect to coaches losing their jobs. Um, this is really interesting. and There are two that came to mind for me right in this very moment. Uh, Frank Reich, who was fired from the Carolina Panthers a few weeks ago. Of course, the Panthers, this was his first year. He didn't even get to the end of his season. The Panthers have been bad now for a few years. I'm, I'm trying to be a Panthers fan. I love Bryce Young as an Alabama guy. Um, and then even more of a legacy coach, maybe the best NFL coach uh, in, in the last few decades, Bill Belichick, who's on the chopping block. He may, before this episode drops, have lost his job at the New England Patriots. And we could talk about uh, college coaches and others as well. And I think, I think maybe one thing, one lesson to consider here, and this is where it connects with the community side, is that in our on-demand, I-centered, me-centered culture, uh, one of the ways that that's affected professional and even college sports is we don't have the patience to lose. Mm-hmm. And so there's a cultural and community virtue that we too need to need to embrace and remember how to experience. I, I remember as a kid um, growing up in Mississippi, one of the coaches at uh, Mississippi State, one of the guys who was uh, Jackie Sherrill, coach of Mississippi State, at least in my teenage memory, it seemed like he was there forever. I don't remember how many years he was actually there. Or even Bear Bryant, as, as, as remarkable of a coach as he was, he, he, didn't win every, he didn't win championships every season. He had some bad seasons, and there were sometimes several seasons in a row that it was tough. But people had the patience and recognized, no, that's our coach. And, and, and unless he just never wins, that's our coach, and we're going to hold on to our – we're going to be proud of him, we're going to cheer on our team. Well, we've kind of forgotten that. And I think that that's something at the community level and maybe even at the administrative level of these club teams and even college teams. You know, Frank Wright might need more than a year to build a program at the Carolina Panthers. And it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's Frank Reich or who it is. The fan base and Carolinians and whoever else are going to have to have the patience for a really poor, struggling program. Uh, it's going to take time to build back. Here's an example of that. What Jimmy Johnson did at the Dallas Cowboys in the early 90s took, what, five years? That was a strategy, a brilliant strategy, that involved basically making sure that they got the right picks at the NFL draft over a three, four, five-year period and then look what happened with the Emmitt Smiths and Detroit Amons and the Michael Irvings of those teams. But you had to have the patience as a fan base, and you had to sort of give people a long runway to build a program like that. We probably need to remember that when it comes to losing seasons from our favorite teams. 
So, before we get to our Christ and culture conversation, let me give you one reminder. Please subscribe uh, to the podcast. Give us uh, a good rating and review and share us with a friend. As part of our ongoing emphasis on challenges to humanity, we wanted to spend some time today talking about disability ministry, something that we've heard quite a bit about recently in the news. How can we love people with differing abilities and how can we love their families well in the church, in the community, etc.? Here to discuss this topic today is a friend of Southeastern Sandra Peoples. Sandra is the disability ministry consultant for the Southern Baptist of, Te- of Texas Convention. Did I say that right? Yeah, it's tricky. Not the Convention of Texas. Okay. Here to discuss this today is our friend Sandra Peoples. Sandra is the Disability Ministry Consultant for the Southern Baptists of Texas Convention, as well as an adjunct professor for Liberty University and the author of the book called Unexpected Blessings, The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a Special Needs Family. She and her family live outside of Houston, Texas, where, as we were just discussing, it's a little hotter there today than it is in North Carolina. Sandra, thank you for joining us today. Oh, I'm excited to be with you. Sandra, if you will, just just kick us off by telling us a little more about yourself and how you became involved in disability ministry. Okay, well, I grew up with a sister with Down syndrome. She was just 14 months older than me. And so uh, we did everything together when we were growing up, and that included going to church together. And so this was through the 80s and 90s in a small town in Oklahoma. And our church did an awesome job welcoming our family, making accommodations for her, and then welcoming other special needs families. Mm. And so years later, 2010, my husband and I uh, were married at that point, had two boys. Uh, Our younger son, James, we were noticing some just deficits in his development, development. And so we took him to get evaluated and they told us that he had autism. And so uh, Mm. my husband was the pastor of our church. And we kind of looked around at our church and thought, well, there's no other people with disabilities here. There's no special needs Mm. families. And so what I had taken for granted as a child and a teenager, uh, having a welcoming and accommodating church suddenly wasn't available to me and my Mm. family and being a mom and Um, So that church in Pennsylvania did a a great job uh, making some changes so that James would be welcome and feel comfortable at church. And then uh, about eight years ago, we moved here to the Houston area. And so we're serving at a church now where my husband is the pastor. (laughs) And when we were interviewing here, we said, hey, do you guys have a disability ministry? And they said no. And we said, well, if you hire Lee as the pastor, you will have a disability ministry. (laughs) It's coming. It's a package deal. Yeah. Sandra and James aren't going to stay home week after week. And so they jumped in uh, with that. And so we, uh, we now welcome lots of families, lots of different ages. Um, And so I, you know, through my experiences as a sibling and as a mom and as a ministry leader, it just kind of led me to serving as many churches as I could. And so I, I've been really blessed to have this position at the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, where I get to help churches either start a disability ministry or strengthen their existing disability ministry so that no families like mine are left without a church home. 
Sandra, what size church is it that your your husband pastors? And I'm curious because you guys were coming to interview for that position. And so often, at least in my experience, the churches that have disability ministries tend to be the larger churches with greater resources or just so happens to have a family. If they're a smaller church or kind of a mid-sized church, just so happens to have a family that maybe has some expertise or experience. I'm curious uh, a little bit of the, the makeup of the church you guys were at. Yeah, we're our church is 350, 400, especially when mm-hmm. we came a few years ago, we were closer to 350. Our church in Pennsylvania was 125. I mean, you know, we're a Southern Baptist church in Pennsylvania. Yeah. There's not yeah. there's no mega up there. Yeah. Um, and so you're right, the the big churches do well, but normal sized churches and small churches can do just as well. They just don't always yeah. know what resources are out there. They feel like they have to kind of invent the wheel. And that's part of my role to come in and say, no, I, I can yeah. I can give you a, a form that a family can fill out. I can help you design a sensory room or a mm. sensory corner <laughs> if that's all yeah. you have in a room. So it's really cool. And, you know, special needs families don't all want to go to big churches or those aren't always yeah. accessible to us. So especially in Texas, as big as we are, I like to think. I mean, my prayer for this role is that no family would be without a church that welcomes them. And so that's that mm-hmm. means small and normal sized churches uh, are going to have to take some steps to be more accessible to welcome these families. Yeah. That's helpful. I want to jump into that in just a second and hear more about kind of how you can get started, regardless of what size church you are. But before that, tell me when you read the Bible, Sandra, and you see and you're, you're thinking you're you're reading scripture with all of your experience, and here you are in the uh, in the thick of this type of a ministry. What does the Bible say about things like disability ministry, or how do you, how when you read the Bible does it inform the way that you think about, relate to, and minister to uh, uh, the people with special needs or families in these in these contexts? Yeah, and it's really important to start with Scripture. I mean, I can tell yeah. you how to do disability ministry. But the more important question is why? Why do we do disability ministry? Yeah. Or why are we passionate about welcoming people with disabilities and their families? And so, I mean, I read scripture on in every book in scripture. And I mean, I read, I read passages about disability throughout scripture. And uh, one of my favorites comes in Exodus. And this is where God is calling Moses to go before Pharaoh. And Moses says, I can't do it. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. You know, we think he may have had a stuttering problem. And so, you know, God has put this call on his life. And Moses says, I I can't do it. Don't almost like, don't you know, don't you know me well enough to know? And God responds with, I know how I made you. I made man deaf or blind or seeing or mute. Mm, And I still have this calling on your life. and, And I expect you to go. And so that really brings me comfort as the mom of a son with autism, where I look at him and I say, he has a design from God on purpose and he has a purpose. (laughs) So this is this his autism somehow is for our good as a family and for God's glory. And so. I mean, in those early days after an autism diagnosis, doctors are asked ask moms all these questions and, you know, what did you eat or what medicine did you take? And it can be really discouraging and really sad. And to, and you can take on blame. You can take on shame 
for things. Mm. So this passage just starts right off back. I mean, with Moses and and God saying, I designed you this way, even with Mm. these limitations, and you still will glorify me and fulfill your purpose with those limitations. So Mm. that's one of my favorite ones. Another one from the life of Jesus It's in Matthew chapter 21, and it's a story most of us are familiar with. You're talking about uh, Jesus coming into the temple, and he turns over the tables of the money changers, and he drives them out. But the the very next verse, verse 14, says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And Mm. so what was happening was that there were barriers that people with disabilities couldn't get to the temple area because They were set up in the Mm. area where unclean people and Gentiles could get into, right? And so Jesus turns over those barriers, and then those people can come to him. And I just think, Mm. of all the things he could be doing in the last week of his life, he's clearing out the temple and making a way for people with disabilities to have access to the temple, to Mm. those rhythms of life at the temple, and also to himself. And so that gets me excited where I think, I can still do that. Churches today can do that. We can look at what the barriers are for people with disabilities and we can knock those out of the way and welcome them in. Oh, it's good. You're going to make me cry here, Sandra. So that's really, really good. All right. So how then do let's, let's begin to turn the corner between uh, here's some things that the Bible says about this, even some direction perhaps that it offers. How do we begin to translate that then into the practice and every week ministries of the church, especially churches that are, of all different sizes and shapes. And, and, and let me let me add one more layer to this, because when we think about special needs, um, some people might default in their minds to some type of physical disabilities. We're talking about uh, wheelchairs and those kind of things. And that's certainly one set of things, you know, barriers that we need to remove for people in those contexts. But at the same time, there are other types, like you talked about your son with autism or Down syndrome or other types of things there. So the types of solutions and the types of ministries that that we should be prepared for are going to be different types in nature. So just help us help us make sense of some of that. How can we begin to uh, translate what the Bible is suggesting to us here into our every week practice of ministry? Yeah, that's a great question. So part of the answer for us, like the the people who get served by our disability ministry, that includes anybody who needs accommodations to the location, the space, like there's something about it, either it's not accessible with their physical limitations, or it is overwhelming in a sensory way. Our our friends with autism often have sensory sensitivities, but it also means, are they hearing the gospel in a way that they can understand it and respond to it? So our disability ministry supports anybody who needs, needs changes to the environment or changes to the lesson or the curriculum in order to hear and respond to the gospel. So that could be uh, a 15 year old with Down syndrome who doesn't Mm -hmm. fit quite in the youth group who needs an environment and lessons that communicate the gospel to her in a way that she understands that also can be a man in his seventies with Alzheimer's, right? Like there's accommodations that come on both ends of that spectrum. And so most disability ministries start in children's ministry. I mean, if I'm hearing from a church, it's usually a children's minister or a children's ministry coordinator, and they're calling the Southern Baptist of Texas convention. And they say, we have this one kid 
And we don't know how to help this kid because he's bouncing off the walls or he's totally overwhelmed or, you know, like all these things are happening. So they often start in children's ministry. And then we put these accommodations and supports around for one kid. And then what benefits one kid can benefit even more kids. And then it changes the culture of a church because then all of a sudden, Sunday after Sunday, you have a kid in your service who has noise reducing headphones and then everybody's like, what are those? Well, then you explain what that is. And then they see their neighbor who has a son who has noise reducing headphones and they say, hey, did you know that our church welcomes kids with disabilities? And then it's just this this mission field. The last census said that 20% of families in the United States have a member with a disability. So that's one in five families in your community. And if you look at like special ed statistics, it's pretty close to that. It could be 13 to 18 percent of your school district. And so I like to say if your church is not reflecting that, then there's a reason there's some kind of barrier or something happening unintentionally often. Right. Like we set out to not welcome people, but we also don't take steps to welcome them. And then they they don't feel like the church is accessible or they've had Pat, they've had negative past experiences and they're just not willing to try again. So Sandra, would you encourage pastors and ministry leaders to think of this as, look, you need to prepare for this. This is kind of the, if you build it, they will come approach. Or is this more of, look, wait and see if, if someone does come with a need like that and then, and then be prepared to respond to it. But what, which comes first in your mind on this? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a both and like, if, if I'm visiting a church, if my husband weren't a pastor and we were looking for a church, the first thing we're doing is going to a church's website. Is there a special needs ministry or a disability ministry listed on their website? If there's not, we're not even visiting that church because we yeah. can't attend that church without a ministry in place that supports James. He's 16 now, so he's not fitting into just any youth group setting. There has to be a place where he would fit. Now, so that then you're building it even before people come. Our our experiences at our church in Pennsylvania and our church here are we're the family that already is going to exist in this church and that ministry is going to build around us. And so mm-hmm. often a family has to go first. We kind of have to be the guinea pigs. We have to speak up for the accommodations that we need. Hopefully advocates are coming alongside of us so it doesn't feel like it's all on us. Uh, and so then those ministries are building because there's already an existing family in the church that says, mm-hmm. hey, we're not leaving. <laughs> right. We 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 want to be part of this church family. We want this ministry to grow. We see it a lot with especially in our fa- our churches that encourage adoption. If you are adopting and bringing a child home. Whether there is a known disability or not, there's often sensory issues, uh, even trauma in the background. And so if you are a church that encourages adoption, you for sure need to have some things in place that welcome that family when they get back home so that they can continue to be supported by the church family that supported them so well leading up to bringing that child home. Yeah, that's good. So, Sandra, I can imagine some of our listeners, uh, there are many ministry leaders and pastors um, who listen to the podcast, and some of them are just thinking, okay, how do I just get started? Is there a starter kit? Is there a steps one through five? Is there a first thing you do is an evaluation, and here's how you do that? Well, how, what would you say about just getting started? 
Yeah, the first thing is just to look around and see if there are any families in your church. Now, what that could look like is that you have a dad and a typical son who come and a mom and a daughter with disabilities who stay home or they they're mm. in the lobby or mm. they're they're a, they're separated. <laughs> Either they're yeah. not all coming. And there's a reason for that. Right. We talked about those barriers. And so the first thing is to start with the families that may already exist in your church. Now, you you may really have to look hard to find them. <laughs> you may have to ask some questions because you may only know half of the family and and say, hey, we we're learning more about this and we want to do everything we can to welcome your family. Make sure you feel included. What steps can we take? Yeah. Most families will say they want two things from a church. They want their child with the disabilities to be safe and to feel loved. Now that's, that's not, there's no expectations of a sensory room or, uh, you know, all these things we could have in place. All I want is for my son to be safe and loved. And that means when he walks in, people mm. are excited to see him and they speak mm. to him, even if he can't speak back. And that means there are steps taken for his safety and the safety of the other kids. Uh, for some of our families, you know, that is a huge concern. And especially in a new place, they're coming in. So don't overthink it. You know, don't think, well, I can't have this ministry until I have all these things in place, or we've spent a certain amount of money, or we've renovated this room in our children's wing, or, you know, we have to hire another part-time ministry leader. You don't need all of that. You just mm -hmm. need a heart that's welcoming, that says, we see you, we care about you, and we want you to feel safe here. So I should probably know the answer to this question, Sandra, but I'm imagining people in, so I'm in North Carolina with a lot of North Carolina listeners, as well as around the country and the world as well. But um, many of our listeners are also going to be Baptist or in some type of a denominational context. Let's just talk about Southern Baptist for a minute. Do most state Baptist conventions have a Sandra Peoples who is helping with this kind of thing? Or where could people go for advice on this kind of stuff? Yeah, that's a great question. From what I know, we're the only state convention that has a disability ministry consultant. Um, mm -hmm. So you can probably call your children's ministry team. That would be a place to start. The Maryland Delaware Association has uh, a relationship with the Banquet Network, which is kind of a parachurch nonprofit organization that they send their churches to. And that's a great resource. But Lifeway is developing a lot of resources where, I mean, they mm. last year at the convention, there was a question from the floor on what resources do you provide for kids with disabilities? And Ben Mandrell spoke to that. And he said, hey, uh, we have a guy on staff who has a son with autism. Go ask him. And so oh, wow. all these yeah. people rushed to speak to him. And so now, uh, especially in the children's ministry area and Lifeway produces access curriculum for adults. So they're evaluating what they have and they have plans to expand that. And so there are resources out there. There's a lot and, and there will be more in the next six yeah. months, the next year. Um, I mean, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know how many secrets I'm supposed to keep about what Lifeway's planning. So let's just say it's going to be awesome. It's really going to be training videos, podcast episodes, what they have planned and what we're praying about is will help every church be able to take more That's steps great. toward being welcoming. Well, until then, Sandra, we'll just point every question to you personally. We'll put your personal cell phone number in the show <laughs> notes for people to text and call whenever they want. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, Sandra, I have one last question for you. When I, When you think about 
the the ministries, the disability ministries that have been the ones that you think these are the people doing it the best. They've been really thoughtful. And it, and I don't mean they've spent millions of dollars. I just mean they're they're really exhibiting best practice in, in a ministry context. What are some of the things that come to mind for you uh, from the examples that you've seen? I think the number one thing is they see disability ministry as whole family ministry. So they're mm-hmm. not just caring for the child with a disability. They understand what it's like to be a special needs sibling. Uh, they understand what it's like to be special needs parents who may never be empty nesters. And so they're not only investing in the child or the teenager with a disability, they're caring for the whole family. So they're providing respite opportunities. We do that at our church a few times a year where it's just an afternoon where special needs families can drop off their kids with disabilities and the and the typical siblings and they can go home and take a nap or they can go Christmas shopping yeah. or they can do whatever really whatever they need. So that's a big part of it. Um, When I was growing up as a sibling, the church is the place where I felt the most at home. Like they, Mm. there were lots of times where I was in Sybil's shadow to the point where people didn't even know my name, right? That that's Mm. just Sybil's sister, but that wasn't true at church. They knew me, they saw me, they invested in me. Um, I mentioned like at the church I grew up in, there were other special needs families there. There were four or five of us. And there are now as adults, there's four of us who are in full-time ministry, who were siblings, who are in full-time ministry. And that happens not only because we still love Jesus, but we also still love the church. And that mm. happened because that church loved us and saw us yeah. and cared for us. And so, I mean, welcoming you know, a 16-year-old with autism changes that whole family. And it can make a difference for generations in that family. And so Mm -hmm. I think the best churches that are doing this well, they don't just see the child or they don't just see a diagnosis. They see a whole person and a whole family and they invest in that family. That's good. Sandra, the title of your book, again, Unexpected Blessings, The Joys and Possibilities of Life in a special needs family. I trust you can buy this from Amazon and wherever books are sold. Yep, wherever books are sold. (laughs) Sandra, this is super helpful and such an important conversation. Thank you not only for your time, but thanks for the work that you're investing here in Texas. And I pray and trust that it's going to expand into many other states and areas as well. So thanks for all you're doing. Oh, sure. Southeastern understands that you have a strategic and valuable role to play in getting the gospel to your neighbors and the nations. That's why we offer over 40 degrees at the undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral levels to equip you to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Visit scbts.edu to learn more. And now it's time for our listener favorite segment on my bookshelf, in which our guests tell us what they're reading right now. So, Sandra Peoples, we just talked to you about disability ministry, but I know that you have some special books on your shelf as well that are among your favorite, and you had to narrow it down to one. Which one did you pick? Well, I picked one that I hope will be a good introduction to a theology of disability, but also how is a Christian worldview of disability different from other worldviews of disability? And so Mm -hmm. I picked Same Lake, Different Boat by Stephanie Hubach. The subtitle is Coming Alongside People Touched by Disability. So 
what's awesome about this book is it it gets deep into the theology, the worldview, but it also talks about the challenges of families and how churches can support those families. So it's just a really good introduction to everything yeah. that we do in disability ministry, especially including that theological piece. And tell us the name of it again, Sandra. Same Lake, Different Boat by Stephanie Hubach. It's H-U-B-A-C-H. Fantastic. And Sandra, tell us a little more about your own work and how people can follow your work. Yeah, so uh, I am on the social media channels, the platform formerly known as Twitter <laughs> at Sandra Peoples. That's a fast way to get a hold of me. And that's really where I talk the most about churches and church resources and then I'm on Instagram as well, Sandra Peoples. And then I have a website, sandrapeoples.com. Uh, and you can even search there by children. You know, I'm interested in inclusion in children's ministry or youth ministry or adult ministry. And you can search there and see things that I've written on those topics. Fantastic. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating and a brief review on your favorite podcast platform. We'll see you next week.